get the news on our shows and other happenings by following us on Twitter. Find us at VoiceAmericaTRN or Twitter.com forward slash VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaHealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. ever thought about why people act the way they do? Why are some people more difficult to deal with while others are always pleasant? Let's find out together. Welcome to Human Behavior. What a trip. Your host is Dr. Jonathan Brower. Our program combines expert guests with people just like you who have questions or comments. We'll have fun exploring human behavior. Now, here's your host, Dr. Jonathan Brower. Hi, everybody. This is Jonathan Brower with my show, Human Behavior, What a Trip. And we're going to have a wonderful trip today. My guest is Jack Roach. And uh, Jack Roach and I went to college together. And um, you're going to learn all about us today. And uh, it's going to be a lot of fun for me and Jack, I believe, and for most of my listeners. So, Jack, welcome to the show. Glad to be here. Good. So, um... Let's start from the very beginning, and tell me about your growing up and what it was like for you and what what you did and what you didn't like. And Well, it uh, starts out in Warren, Ohio, which is in the northeast section of Ohio near Youngstown. Uh-huh. Uh, I guess an interesting fact would be this. I was born the same day as Paul Warfield, who was a professional football player, probably in the same hospital, yeah. being born in Warren. Uh-huh. Our, our family was a relatively poor family, and uh, I think I would say from my point of view now that we struggled to make ends meet. Uh-huh. Um, you know, I went to school in Warren from uh, kindergarten through fifth grade, and uh, my dad was anxious to, you know, find better place to be. Um, and when we lived in Warren, he, it was it was during a time when washers and dryers were becoming automatic. Uh-huh. And he was a bookkeeper part time in different places, and he went to school to learn how to fix washers and dryers. And one of the friends he had, um, a guy named Bill Young. Yeah. Uh, worked for Goodyear and told my dad that uh, he had lined up a job for him in Phoenix. So we packed everything up and moved to Phoenix. And when we got there, uh, it was the middle of the 1950s and there was a recession going on and they told him they were actually laying off and not hiring. And so, uh-huh. uh, you know, our family continued to struggle. Um, anyway, I don't know. Should I back up, move forward? Well, uh, how many siblings did you have? I had two sisters. One, I was the oldest, and I have a sister two years younger than me and one that's nine years younger than me. Uh-huh. And uh, my dad, I believe, was nine years older than my mother. Uh-huh. Um, pretty much we just had a regular normal family from my point of view as at that age. I didn't yeah. know 
you know, that we weren't rich and I didn't know that we weren't poor, you know, that type of thing. Yeah. And so when you're talking about that, how old were you when you were saying this? Pardon? How old was I when? Well, when you were just talking about the things about your your dad. Um, oh, I would say uh, it was between 10 and 12 when we did started to move. Okay, so and, then if, uh, after Ohio, you moved to where? Well, we had a very short stay in, in uh, Louisiana probably when I was about five years old, and then back to Ohio, and when I was 12, we moved to Phoenix, and then the following year, we moved to Pomona, uh-huh. in Southern California, and then the following year, we moved to Ontario, also in Southern California, and my parents basically lived there the rest of their lives. So how old were you when you resided in California? Uh, starting in the sixth grade, um, I went to uh, a Catholic grammar school in Ontario and then uh, to the Catholic high school in Pomona. Uh-huh. And then, of course, from there, we met up at UC Santa Barbara. Yeah. So uh, when you were a kid, when you were in sixth grade, what kind of things did you like to do? Oh, I would say mainly I rode a bike around with friends, and yeah. uh, it was kind of an interesting time in the sense that... Uh, you know, I can remember we carried uh, little salt shakers in our pants because we would stop and grab grapefruit off of trees and bust them open and salt them and eat them. And, uh, you know, we did a lot of riding around bikes. I didn't play uh, sports too much. Uh, sad to say, I can remember picking up cigarette butts off the of streets and smoking them. Uh-huh. But, uh, you know, like I say, we didn't do much in the way of sports. I started doing that maybe in the eighth grade. Okay. Uh, I, I want to go back to one little detail for a moment. <clears throat> you mentioned when you were a kid, you would uh, put salt on grapefruit. Mm-hmm. I never heard of that. I've never done that. Uh, and I don't do it anymore, and I don't know why. Sometimes I think about doing it, but basically I don't eat grapefruit, so <laughs> I see. there's never any around. Yeah. Okay, so then um, when you got into high school... Then you started getting um, interested in athletics, right? Well, in the eighth grade, I we played uh, flag football. Yeah. And I thought I was pretty good. You probably and, were uh, good. I think I was, but then after I got to be uh, probably in my adult years, I realized why. We had these giant kids who were on the line. Yeah. And I was a running back, and I think people got out of their way, which, of course... Yeah. made it easy for me to run. Yeah. When I got to high school and we were playing tackle football, it was a totally different thing because I, I, know, I know I only weighed about 100 pounds. Yeah. So after one year of high school football, that was that, and then I started playing basketball. And why did you um, get involved with basketball? What did you like about that? Well, that was another thing that I was... Well, some, I, I would first draw was all my friends played it, the people that I hung around with. Yeah. And some of the people I'm still friends with. And um, it was because of basketball that I actually got into running, which, of course, we haven't talked about, but that became, you know, my main sport. And at the end of my sophomore year on the JV basketball team, the last day of practice, the coach said, we aren't going to practice, but uh, there's going to be an interclass track meet. There is an interclass track meet, and I want everybody to run in three events. Uh-huh. And one of my events that I chose was the 1320 or three quarters of a mile. Yeah. And I, I ran it and I won it, but I didn't think it was a big deal until the varsity coach came up to me and said that that was a school record uh-huh. and that he wanted me to come out for track the next week. 
you remember what your time was in that, right? In that run? Uh, no. No, okay. I don't. Um, but I know the next week. Yeah. We ran on a Thursday in uh, an invitational called the Santa Ana Relays. Uh-huh. And that was my first varsity race. It was my first real race when you get right down to it ever. And um, it was a sprint medley, and I was running the 800, or in yeah. those days, the 880. Yeah. And um, our 440, it went 442, 22, 28, 80. Our 440 man ran in the 49s, which for the first meet of the year was a pretty terrific time. And that yeah. stood up in the L.A. Times for something like six weeks. Yeah. And... The two 220 guys were pretty good, too, and so I got past a baton. I probably had a 25, 30-yard lead. And by the top of the first turn, I was passed. Uh-huh. And by the first half lap, I was passed again. Yeah. And so we hung on for third, but these other people who were senior classmen to me were real unhappy. But I think the first person that passed me was somebody named Ray Van Austin. Do you remember his name? Yes, I do. Yeah, he won the state meet that year in the 880. But yeah, who yeah. knew that then? Yeah. And the second team that passed me was La Habra. Do you remember who went there? Yeah. Bruce Bess. Yeah, Bruce Bess, right. Now, whether he was the 880 guy that passed me or not, I don't know. But that was my my first race. And, uh, but besides guess, that, you, you hadn't had too many uh, workouts before that race, did you? I think I had... Uh, that was on a Thursday, and the interclass track meet was on a Thursday, so I probably had two or three workouts, yeah. Yeah, so basically but, you But had you're something. in shape because you're playing basketball. Yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I was sitting around, you know, half a year doing nothing. Yeah. And I played all the time, so I, you know, I felt like I was in decent shape. I, I, I basically never ran the 880 again. Yeah. It was, it was always the mile. So then in high school you were cross-country and... No, no, we didn't have cross-country. Our high school was a very small school. We had football, basketball, track, and baseball, nothing else. So during the winter, you really didn't do any much, you didn't do much running? Except for I played basketball for three, yeah, for three did, years. But you weren't no, I never, I never did yeah. track workouts, no. And then in high school, your best mile time was what? Mm, I think probably 444, 443, something like that. Not real great. Yeah. And then... Um, when you went to college, why did, you, why did you decide to go to UC Santa Barbara? Well, actually, I wanted to go to Santa Barbara because a good friend of mine lived across the street from a, an older guy. He'd been drafted into the military, and when he got out, he'd had two years of junior college, and he was going to go to UC Santa Barbara. And kind of, I don't know, the name fascinated me. The city fascinated me. Yeah. And I had already determined when I was a sophomore that I was going to become a teacher, yeah, and so uh, that's just what happened. And I we ran our high school ran in the Mount Sac relays, and uh, UC Santa Barbara was there, and you'll remember Jim Carroll. Sure do. And I went over and I talked to Jim and asked him about the track team and told him what my times were. And I think that day I did run the 880 and I broke two minutes. And he said, "Wow, two minutes! That's really good for our school." So. Uh, you know, so when, he went, when you were talking to him about this, where, where were you guys talking? Were you at Santa Barbara? Or? No, no, we were at Mount Sac Relays in Walnut in California. And uh, I see. So he was there as a he was a, there as a participant at the college level. I see. So you just happened to meet each other. Uh, no, I sought him out. Meaning, I knew I was I was already admitted to Santa Barbara, 
what I wanted to know was, was I good enough to run track there? I see. And so I don't think I talked to our coach, Sam Adams. Yeah. But I remember specifically talking to Jim and Jim telling me he would tell the coach that I was going to come to the school and probably go out. Yeah. And I had never run cross country, but, you know, we got up to school, what, about a week or so before it started being yeah. freshman. Yeah. And I was lonely and bored. Yeah. And I read in the paper that cross country was starting, so I just showed up. Yeah, I get it. So uh, before we go on with the, with the running stuff, what, what, what prompted you to know when you were in high school that you wanted to become a teacher? Uh, that's... That's something I've thought about. Uh, I, I think this, in this day and age, kids have a wider view of the world. Uh-huh. Uh, starting when I was maybe 12 years old, I started to work cutting yards, going from house to house, and uh-huh. you know, doing different odd jobs for people to raise money. Uh-huh. Uh, then I went to work in the supermarkets, which I really, really did not like. I mean, the time went by so slowly yeah. that I couldn't stand it. This is when you were in high school, right? That was when I was in high school, and that's where I got the money saved up to go to my freshman year because my parents weren't going to be able to pay for it. But from my point of view in those days, I'm looking around saying, what can I be? Do I want to be a washer repairman like my dad? No. Yeah. Uh, Do I want to cut yards? No. Do I want to work in supermarkets forever? No. So what else did I know? Oh, I went to school, and there were subjects that I liked. I liked English. I liked history. Yes. Uh, you know, so I said, okay, being a teacher would be, for me, a good life. And by the way, it turned out to be. Uh-huh. So um, you got your uh, degree in history, right? That's right. Yeah. And then I went to San Jose State the following year, and I got teaching credentials in English, history, and PE, because okay. I had minors in English and PE. I see. Okay, so let's go back to the running part at UCSB for a little bit. All right. And we're going to have, a, we're going to have our first uh, commercial break in a couple of minutes, but we have some time. All right. So um, when you were at USC, UCSB, we were in the same class, and um, you and the, the coach, Sam Adams, ended up uh, seeing – my memory is the two of you uh, would have different views of opinion about some things – and he being the coach, he had more power over you than you did over him. Right. So do you recall those times, and what do you think about it when you... Uh, you know, first thing I think about is that I was young and not very bright as it related to, you know, getting along with authority, put it like that. I've never done well at that. Yes. And uh, one, let me say the good thing about Sam, maybe... A lot of people wouldn't agree with this, but the way his his workouts, as opposed to Pete Peterson's, Sam did killer workouts, and I think Pete, you know, his were more kill yourself in the race and you know different type of workouts. Yes. But to me, the killer workouts suited my personality best. Yeah. And uh, the the bad part, maybe the good part, I don't know, is everything was competitive with me. Yeah. So if if we were going to run, um. You know, a three-mile time trial, I had to be first. Uh-huh. And I remember one day we he did, um, he had us run the cross-country course, but he staggered everybody according to their times. Uh-huh. I remember doing that. And, uh, you know, that type of thing appealed to me. 
then, you know, I know we, where we did have some disagreements was I was a little bit more on the liberal side of the politics. And so when we would be driving, you know, to cross-country races uh, yeah. and politics came up, Sam and I were obviously on, you know, different sides of that. But I did some things that I, in retrospect, I, I, I would say I probably regret. And I'll give you two examples. One. Yeah. One day before we went up to Fresno for the regional meet, uh-huh. uh, the meet was going to be on Wednesday. On Monday, he wanted us to run a four-mile race on the track so that everybody could run 20 minutes and know that they could do that. Uh-huh. And I absolutely fought him on that for two reasons. I felt I don't need to run a 20-minute four-mile two days before the biggest race of the year. Yes, I agree. And I actually won that argument. And the second thing, and I don't know if I told him this or not, but it sure was in my head, uh-huh. not many of us could run 20 minutes in for four miles. None of us could. So, Maybe you if, could, but the rest of us couldn't. Well, I could get close to it, but the point is, yeah. if that was the goal, we weren't going to reach that goal, and it would do the opposite. It would show us we couldn't do that. The other time, I remember doing something that as soon as I said it, I wished I hadn't. We were having a team meeting before we ran against Long Beach State. And what he did was he went and took every individual, their event, and said, this is what you need to do. Like for me, all I needed to do was come in second in the mile because I don't think he thought I was going to beat this guy named Lee. Yes. And then he said to, you know, Hokinson, you know, you need to win the shot put and John, you need to come in first in the 100 or, you know, whatever it was. Yeah. So when he was done going through this, I raised my hand and said, okay, Sam, what if we all do this? What's the score? He was honest and said we lose by three or two points. Uh-huh. So everybody had to do as good as they could, and we still couldn't win. And I shouldn't have asked that question. If he wanted to tell us, you know, he should have. And those were the kind, those are what I mean by... Yeah. I was young and I was stupid and I didn't get certain things and and that had to, he had to view me as antagonistic because I did things like that. Yeah, and then in your yeah so um, in your senior year you didn't uh, run track. Right. Which for me I was sad that you didn't because I wanted you there. But well, do you know why? Yeah, because you were gonna have a baby. No, no. We won the regional cross country championships, remember? Yeah. In, in, yeah. you know, the, in November. Yeah. And I believe I was the fifth man that year for our team. And when we were coming to the finish line, I would say there was probably 150 yards that you could see straight ahead around the lagoon. Yeah. And, uh, I counted the four blue shirts, our color, yeah. in front of me. And how many other different jerseys were in front of me? And I knew we won, and I knew we won by a lot. I think our score was half as the, uh, the amount of the next best team. Yeah. And when I walked across the finish line and knew we won a gold medal, I did not care. I just absolutely did not care. And I asked myself, if I don't care, why am I putting myself through all of this grief? I... So we went... I was married, of course, at the time, and... Uh, I tell you what, we're going to take a, a two-minute okay. break or so. All right. And we'll come back and finish up on that part. Very good. So stand by, everybody. We'll be back in a couple of minutes. 
fresh look at today's health. Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield. Total access. Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. This is Jonathan Brower with my guest, Jack Roach. And we're talking about uh, how he and I were in UC Santa Barbara and we were in the cross-country team and the track team. And uh, right before the break, the commercial break, we were talking about uh, how in in the senior year in cross-country, you decided after we finished our race, that you were not going to run in track. Right. Well, as I was saying, uh, and, and you know, and anybody that runs distance races knows, you run 70, 80 miles a week. Uh, a lot of it is hard. The races are certainly hard. Yes. And here it was, we're the West Coast champions of the college division, and I didn't care. Yes. And I asked myself, why do I want to continue to put myself through this? So, uh, you know, during what well, the next day was Thanksgiving and I was married and we went up to Livermore where my wife was from. And, you know, that Saturday, my father-in-law got around to ask, and how did the race go? And uh-huh. I told him we won. And he said, you didn't. And I said, why would you say we didn't when I just told you we did? Yeah. He said, because if you would have won, you would have said. And I told him, I don't care that I won. Yeah, I'm not running anymore, and he tried to talk me out of it. But when we went back to school, I went to see Sam, who was working with the decathletes, you yeah. know, whoever showed up there, I guess, and told him, you know, I didn't think I could run, and he told me, uh, I don't know, not surprisingly, I guess, that he thought that was best because he saw a deterioration in my attitude. Uh-huh. And I told him, you know, I had a grant made, and I told him you can have the grant back. And he said, no, you can keep it. We got more out of you than we ever thought we were going to get yeah, when yeah. you showed up. So, you know, that worked out for me. Uh-huh. In other words, got to keep my job. And 
uh, you know, helped out, you know, financially. Yes. So then, um, so how many years did you not run before you went back to running? Oh, I would say probably, let's say that I was 21 when I stopped. Yeah. Uh, probably nine. Yeah. Maybe eight or nine. And I remember... And then I started running again because a friend of mine, one of the ones I referred to that was on the basketball team with me in high school, yeah. you know, started running marathons and, you know, I visited him and, uh, you know, he just got me interested in Plus, you know, I was way overweight and... Uh, how, how overweight were you? Well, I think when we graduated, I probably weighed 145 pounds and at that point I probably weighed 180. Wow. And how long so, did it take you to lose that weight once you started running again? Uh, quite honestly, probably six months. Uh-huh. I just, I just changed everything. I changed my eating and I started running. In other words, I didn't eat any ice cream. I didn't eat bread. Uh, you know, I just, I didn't eat anything that had a lot of calories. And I was working as a vice principal at that time. And, you know, I, my goal was to get down to 160. And one day, uh, I had a real tough day. I didn't eat lunch, and I was running around, and after school closed, it was winter. Yeah. I went out for a run, and then I came back, and I watched part of a soccer game, and I went in and showered and weighed myself on the scale, and I weighed like 153, and I'd lost seven pounds that day. Wow. And I said, whoa, if I could do this, even though I knew it was fake, you know, that I didn't eat anything, and I was probably dehydrated. Yeah. Well, I can get down to it, so, you know, I worked to do it, and I got as low as 148, and then, yeah. you know, I, my clothes didn't fit. <laughs> so, um, when you got back into running after a nine-year layoff, why did you like running? Why did you like it again? Well, uh, first of all, like I said, it was something that was good for my health. You know, the first day that I, I lived on a block that was exactly one half mile, yeah. and to my surprise, I could not run around the block. Yes. Okay, then I'm trying to play catch with my son, who was probably eight years old. Yeah. And if he threw the ball and I didn't catch it and I had to go after it, it irritated me. Yeah. Meaning because, you know, I had to do something physical. Yeah. So that was the first part. And then I started doing races, and I, I, didn't, I enjoyed that until I was in probably mid-40s. Uh-huh. And then I started disliking running again because I was too competitive. And the last race I ran, I promised myself at the start of the race, I will just go at an easy pace and enjoy it. And I got about maybe 150 or so yards from the finish, and I saw a ponytail bouncing around in front of me. Uh-huh. And I said, I don't think I've ever lost to a female, and it isn't going to happen now. And I ran as hard as I could, and I barely beat her at the tape. Yeah. And it turned out she had won the state cross-country championship for her division. Oh, really? So uh, and I said, okay, no more, no more running. And I stopped competitively running, and I just ran for enjoyment again. So when you were running, well, so when, when you started running for enjoyment again, what age were you then? Oh, I'd say 44, maybe. And then, so how often would you run? Well, that was another thing that was bad. I ran six miles every day. Well, why is that bad? Because if I skipped the day, I ran 12 the next day. Oh, in other I words, I called it being anorexic about running. And then 
I developed a bad hip and I went to the doctor and he sent me to a physical therapist and the physical therapist said, you're just stiff and I'll fix that. Well, I knew I wasn't stiff, but I didn't know I had arthritis. I see. And so they took x-rays and she said, I've got bad news for you. You'll never run again. And I said, that's not bad news. (laughs) And so Um, how old were you when you stopped running? uh, I must have been around 50. And was that for you, was that a traumatic event or not really? No, no, because like I said, I was, again, I got to the point where I wasn't enjoying it because I was competitive about it. I even started timing myself. And uh, I had hills I ran. I made a point to winding up on a junior college track in the middle of the race, and then I would run 440s or 220s. And uh, But it I, I was also a good release, and I knew that because I, by this time I was a principal and a vice principal, and, and those are emotionally hard jobs, and so that was a, a good thing. And then after I couldn't run anymore, I bought a bike, and I started biking, and I actually worked out longer on a bike than I did when I was running. Yeah. In other words, I could run six miles in, you know, what, 50 minutes or so, and uh, I ride the bike about hour and 20 minutes. Yes. So um, how soon did you become a, um, a principal or a vice principal before? When you were- well, okay, let, let me just say my professional career was just being at the right place at the right time yeah. for everything. My first assignment for teaching was student teaching at Newark High School, in, of course, in Northern California. And uh, from there, I took a job up in the foothills, and that was not satisfactory to me. But luckily, I had met some really great people when I was student teaching, including the principal. Uh-huh. And I, I would say it was in the month of October, I called my master teacher in English and said, Byron, I want to come to Newark. And he said, I'll put you in touch with Louis Haga, who was the English department chair, which is what I really wanted to teach. Byron was my master teacher in English. And they talked to the principal, and then the principal talked to the assistant superintendent, and the last day of basketball that year, I was coaching basketball up there, I got a letter saying that I was hired. And uh-huh. so I went to Newark, and then uh, I taught English and really enjoyed it, enjoyed the kids, uh, and we opened a new high school, and I volunteered to go to it. Most people wanted to stay at Newark High. Yeah. And one day... I was walking into the office when the principal of the new high school was walking out. And I said, Dan, did you hire an athletic director yet? Because uh-huh. I was coaching track. And he said, yes, we hired Gene. Um, so anyway, I went on my way. I had never even thought about being an athletic director, by the way. I just said it. It's just like talking to Sam. You know, it came out of my mouth without thinking. Yeah. And about two weeks later, I'm going in the same door and Dan's coming out. And he said, were you serious about being athletic director? Yes. And I said, I wasn't when I said it, but I am now. Uh-huh. And he said, because Gene quit and is going to another high school. And why did you want to become an athletic director? Uh, it just intrigued me. And what was interesting to Gene, I mean, Dan, who was the principal, Dan Gallart, uh, and there was a vice principal uh, who was a woman, and they didn't want to have a traditional high school. And so having an English teacher be the athletic director was something that fit into their thinking about we're not going to do, have the football coach be the athletic director, which it was at every other school. Yeah. So um, at one point, were you both doing English teaching and also 
coaching the track team and being the athletic director? Right. I did that and, uh, you know, probably for four years. And Didn't that take a lot of your that, time? Go ahead. Didn't that take a lot of your time? Too much of my time. Yeah, it, was, it wasn't good. But then one day, one of our vice principals who, who came to the new high school from a, a principalship at, a, at an elementary school, he was bored. Uh-huh. But high school was so much different than he expected it to be, he quit on November 1st. Yeah. So Dan came to me and said, we're going to divide up Tom's job into three parts. These are the three parts. I want you to take one. In other words, two periods. Uh-huh. And so he laid out what they were, and I said, I'll take the discipline. And he asked me why, and I said, because if I do budget or buildings and grounds, who's going to care? If I do discipline and I do well, then it'll matter. And, and discipline so, means for kids who are screwing around? Right. Well, people, well, there's two parts to being a vice principal of dealing with discipline. One is classroom referrals where a teacher can't handle the student for whatever reason and sends them out. I see. The other one is trouble on campus. And that's what Tom didn't like, the person who quit. Uh-huh. He could handle the, t- the kid in the classroom, but there was too much going on on the campus in those years. You know, as Vietnam was on full bore, yeah. a lot of anti-authority. Uh, yeah. uh, the drugs were unbelievably being used and experimented with. And, uh-huh. you know, so... Uh, but I was at the right place, and so that led me into a full-time vice principalship and then to a full-time principalship and then to district office. And, um, and did, you, you, know. did you like being a principal? Uh, I, I'll tell you what. They, they made me a principal when I was 33 years old, and that was too young. Uh-huh. In other words, picture this. I'm 33 years old, and I'm sitting there across the desk from a parent who's 45 years old yes. telling him how to raise his kid. <laughs> Yeah. And, you know, and, and so I didn't know how hard it was. And my career went up and down. In other words, we closed one high school and one L, uh, junior high, which I was principal at, and reopened with one junior high and one high school. And I became a vice principal from the principalship. And I couldn't believe how easy it was because now I was po- getting close to 40. Yeah. And then when I became principal again, I don't remember how old I was, but uh, I can remember some kids saying to me, we were standing around talking at lunchtime, uh, he, he, the, the girls asked me something about how old I was, you know, and I don't, I'd say I was 51, you know, and I said, uh, 51. She says, geez, my grandfather's younger than you. Uh-huh. And so they started calling me grandpa then. Yeah. And because I was... Older, more mature, just that alone gave me, you know, some prestige with people. And then, of course, I had a whole lot of experience that, you know, went with it. But at that point, being a principal, while it was difficult and challenging in one way, it wasn't as challenging as it was when I was in my early 30s or middle 30s. Uh And I wouldn't recommend anybody get hired that young to be in charge of a school. So when you were a vice principal and later a principal, you didn't teach English classes, right? Well, or did you? I I I did one year when I was a vice principal. I I uh, the year before that I was uh, working part time as a as an English teacher at the high school. Uh huh. 
and I was also coordinating some programs like our testing program and the curriculum for the secondary level. And I taught three classes, and that was a pretty good year. I really did enjoy that. And then I was asked to teach a special program just for Latino students called Puente. Uh-huh. And then That's I went back into a full-time administrative job, but they said, you know, you can't teach the Puente. And I said, well, I'm, I've been trained for it. Nobody else is trained for it. I want to do it. So we had it first period of the day. So that year I taught uh, an English class and was a vice principal, and that I found satisfactory. Then when I became principal at the high school, I moved from the junior high to the high school. Yeah. And I wanted the teachers to know that a principal's not afraid of teaching and shouldn't be. And so I brought a teacher from the uh, junior high to the high school with me, and I said, um, I'm going to teach your first, I'm going to share the first period with you. So I taught it, uh, I would say four out of, well, I taught it four out of five days uh-huh. for the first semester. And that was a little bit more of a strain, but still wasn't bad. I enjoyed doing that. And what was interesting about it was the kids were really impressed that the principal was their teacher. I see. And it wore off after a month. Which part wore off? They weren't so impressed anymore. I see. It didn't matter. I mean, I was just their teacher. Yeah. And the difference was I didn't have to send them to the office if I was unhappy. When the period was over, I took them to the office and... Yeah. You know, but I enjoyed that. I was that yeah, and, was. And uh, I, I remember when you were in college, you used to read a lot of books uh, that we know that weren't necessarily for school. Mm-hmm. And uh, why do you? What did you like about teaching English? Uh, okay, a student taught in uh, history and English. Yeah. And for me personally, I couldn't get the students in the history part of it that interested, but it was easier to get kids interested in literature. Uh-huh. And, and also, it's not just literature. I think that's, should, that's overplayed. I, you know, when I hired English teachers after I was principal, yeah. you know, I asked them, tell me what, how, much, how important is writing compared to literature? And if anybody said that writing wasn't as important as literature, they didn't get hired. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, so I, I also very much enjoyed teaching writing. And I... And I think I was reasonably successful at it. And in fact, we at one point, we had a totally elective program. And I taught a couple periods called composition and nonfiction, which was advertised as, if you don't know how to write, take this class. Uh-huh. And I told the kids at the beginning, when we're, the last thing I have you write, you will be writing at least six to eight pages, probably most of you ten, and they didn't believe it, uh-huh. but they did. And they enjoyed it? And it's just the way you just, you know, worked out the assignment form, but then they filled in, you know, the blanks. And so that was the basic part about the teaching that I enjoyed yeah. the most. Okay, we're coming and, up And for dealing our... with kids. Kids are great. Yeah, we're coming up for our second and last commercial break. So we'll come back in a minute or two. Okay. So everybody out there, hang on and more to come. Real Life Solutions, Voice America Health and Wellness. Legal Shield, Total Access. 
Everyone deserves legal protection. With Legal Shield, everyone can access it, no matter how traumatic or trivial. Check out players.buildinglastingsuccess.com and jjbrower.com. Call Jonathan at 805-535-5111. DefeatAnxietyNow.com is geared to help people suffering with anxiety and depression. Intensive, short-term, dynamic psychotherapy helps many people get to the absolute core of their problems and resolve them. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Interested in investing in real estate, leveraging other people's money? Call Jonathan Brower and he can give you some more information. 805-535-5111. That's 805-535-5111. SportsPsychologySociology.com can help you improve your ability to excel and enjoy your athletic endeavors. Call Dr. Jonathan Brower at 818-707-4557. Your life, your health, your network. You're listening to Voice America Health & Wellness. You're listening to Human Behavior, What a Trip, with Dr. Jonathan Brower. If you have a question or comment for the show this week, please call in to 1-866-472-5792. That's toll-free, 1-866-472-5792. You may also send an email to jbrowerphd at yahoo.com. Now, back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Human Behavior, What a Trip. I'm with my guest, Jack Roach, and um, Jack, we were talking about you enjoying uh, English literature and and writing and helping your students that way. So let's move on to uh, you as a parent. All right. (laughs) So you and Chris, you got married when? Well, uh, you know, as I said about school, I was always at the right place at the right time, and uh, Oh, I was going to go run in a national championship, which was going to be held in Fresno. And uh, the night before we left, I was walking down Del Playa, and you know, out in Isla Vista, and I went in and out of parties, and I saw this girl there that kind of struck my fancy. And uh-huh. but I left because you know I needed to get to bed and get up the next day and leave. But the following fall. Uh, in my junior year, I went out with one of her roommates, and when I realized, oh, that's the same lady that was over at the party, yeah. I made a point of striking up a relationship with her, and then very shortly thereafter, you know, we began dating seriously, and uh-huh. at the end of that year, that would have been in 1965, uh-huh. we got married, and uh, going into my senior year, you know, I lived in married student housing, and as I said, we ran the cross country, but I didn't make it to the track that year. Yeah. So when the two of you um, got married in '65, were either one of you um, at all skittish about getting married so young? No, too stupid. Uh, didn't realize. I mean, today, if I if I knew what I knew when I was in my 30s, if I knew that when I was 21, I wouldn't have gotten married. But uh, yeah. I just things always worked out for me. Like I said, right place at the right time. Uh, and I had no reason to believe they wouldn't continue to work out. And, you know, and so fortunately for me, for the most part, they have worked out. Yeah. So for me, it seemed bizarre someone so young getting married. 
But apparently it worked out pretty well because... Uh, We're still married. <laughs> yeah. So you've been married now how many years? 48. Wow. Yeah, right. Who would have guessed? Uh, that's what my friends tell me. Yeah. Who would have thought? And when was your first child born? In 66. And then in the second one and only other one in 68. I see. So your son was the first one? No, my daughter. Oh, yeah, she's a 47, your son's 40. 43, going to be 44. Almost 44. And I've seen a picture of him you sent me a few years ago. He was a big guy. Well, bigger than me. And plus, he's, uh, he lifts, and uh, yeah, he keeps himself in shape and bulked up. Uh-huh. He was a runner, but when he was a runner, he wasn't that big, meaning yeah. heavy. Yeah. And uh, how often do you see your adult kids now? Oh, say once a month for my son. And my son lives about 20 minutes or so from where I do, and my daughter lives in Santa Barbara, so we only get down there about, well, we'll go down there twice a year maybe, and she'll come up here once or twice a year. Well, she just moved to Santa Barbara a year or two ago, right? About a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. I see. And why did she choose to go back to Santa Barbara? Well, that's A, that's where she was born, and B, she went to school there. And surprisingly, uh, to me anyway, she uh, some of her roommates and friends she made stayed in Santa Barbara. Uh-huh. And she was living in Austin, Texas, and two years ago they just had a horrific uh, summer in the sense that uh, when she came out to visit us, they'd had 50 straight days of 100-degree weather. 100-degree oh, yeah, weather here is not good, but the humidity is not 80% either. Yes. And so she just made up her mind, I'm, I'm leaving, and she's a CPA, so she didn't figure she'd have a hard time getting a job, and, and she didn't. So okay. it worked out well for her. And so how often do you see your adult children? Oh, I can say my son maybe once a month and my daughter four times a year. Uh-huh. And do they stay in touch with each other? No, not, not too much. And, uh-huh. uh, you know, like if my daughter's up here, my son will visit with her. Uh-huh. You know, that would be mainly Christmas, say one time in the summer. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, to be honest with you, I don't, uh, I have two sisters, as I said earlier, and yes. one of them I talk to maybe twice a year, uh-huh. and I'll see her, she lives in Sacramento, so I'll see her maybe once a year, twice at the most, my uh-huh. sister from L.A., yeah. I talk to probably four times a year, see her every three or four years. Yeah. She doesn't like it up here. I don't like going to L.A., so. We're in L.A. Uh, with you. But we don't have bad relationships. It's just that, you know, we're not close. Yeah. So when you think about it, um, how different was your parenting with your uh, kids in relation to how your parents parented you? Well, you know, I think if, uh, you know, we went into more detail, I I would say that, you know, my parents spent a huge percentage of their time trying to keep their head above water. Yeah. And I know my dad worked seven days a week. There wasn't yeah. a day I did not see him work. Yeah. And never took a vacation. Uh-huh. And uh, if when the Euros I played football, he went to the games. He, but he had no interest in basketball or running. Uh-huh. So he didn't take the time off, you know, to do that. Yeah. My mother didn't drive, so she didn't either. Uh-huh. And, uh, you know, I'd say we had a good family, uh, always had food on the table. Uh, they set rules, you know, I'm going to be home at such and such a time on the weekend. I'm not going out on school nights. Uh-huh. 
you know, I mentioned that I worked in supermarkets all the way through high school. I ran track. I studied hard. Yeah. And my dad actually resented me running sport, plant participating in sports. Why did he, he resent it, do you think? Well, he thought I should focus on work. And uh, I, like I told you, I could not stand working at the supermarket. Uh, yeah. Two hours at the supermarket seemed like four hours to me. Yeah. And so my goal, even in the summer, at, during college, I'd go home and work. And it would reinforce in my mind, I need to stay in school. Yeah. I need to become a teacher. Yeah. And that, I think that was a big reason why I graduated in four years and did what I had to do to yeah. get out of there. And uh, you retired from teaching a few years ago, right? Uh, actually, more than that. Probably, I retired when I was 60, and I'm 69. Okay. And um, how did you decide you wanted to retire when you did? Uh, honest answer? Yes. Uh, superintendent and I didn't like each other. And uh, he was new. Uh, he came in, and his background was elementary. Uh-huh. I was running the high school. He thought he could tell me how to run the school, and I basically butt heads with him. And at the end of the year, the district was – all districts at that time were starting to uh, feel a financial strain. Uh-huh. So they offered what was called an early out. In other words, if you get rid of, say, for the 42 of us left that year – yeah. Well, when when you have an eighty thousand dollar teacher leaving and you hire a fifty thousand dollar teacher, well, that's a thir- savings of thirty thousand dollars. So, yeah. it was it was probably two years before I wanted to retire, but I I never regretted it. I uh-huh. missed it for a few years, but uh, it's past history now. And uh, Chris, she wasn't a teacher, but she was a. Actually, she did get a teaching credential. And yeah. uh, elementary, but at the time she got it, that was another. We were going through declining enrollment in Northern California in the uh-huh. urban areas, and so we every year we were not. We didn't have to lay teachers off because enough people quit to, uh, you know, or retired. Yeah. So, but they, we weren't hiring new people. So she took the civil service exam, and for 25 years she worked for the IRS. I see. And she retired when? About a year after I did. I see. And so the two of you um, have enough money to travel and do what you want? Uh, we do. And uh, I think our traveling's done. I can't stand being on airplanes that much anymore. Yeah. Especially going to Europe. Yeah. Uh, you know, 12 hours, 13 hours. Uh, last time we came home from Europe, I wanted to jump out of the plane about the time we got to Newfoundland. Yeah. So... Um, what do you do in your spare time now that you're retired? Well, surprisingly, John, I read a lot. Uh-huh. <laughs> and I probably read one to two books a week, uh, a mag- couple magazines, uh-huh. like the New York Review of Books. Um, I ride every morning that ride I don't golf. Yeah, I, I ride 15 miles. Uh, then I come home, I do exercises. About the time I'm done with that, I, uh, it's time to eat lunch. And then after lunch, I've got chores to do or errands to run. Uh-huh. And then uh, we don't spend much time together during the day. It's just like we were working. And Yeah. But you, uh, it sounds like you're enjoying your retirement. I am. I am. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I died tomorrow, I wouldn't have a complaint. Yes. Although you're in pretty good shape, right? 
Yeah, uh, that doesn't mean I won't fall off my bike or get hit by a car or yeah, you know, yeah, or how you that goes. 102, who knows? Yeah. Yeah. And the point is that I've had a good life and uh, better than I expected to have when I was a kid. Yes. And uh, I I wouldn't complain and I and I you know, I had jobs that were hard and I had jobs that were interesting and Uh-huh. You know. Uh, when are you going to see your sister, your uh, daughter in Santa Barbara again? Oh, just got back yesterday. Uh huh. I had I have two grandkids that live here. Yeah, in Livermore, and I took them down to be with their cousin, uh-huh. you know, Diana's daughter. Yeah, and uh, I, you know, they, in other words, they like each other. Those three. Uh huh. And so uh, it was sort of a family thing, and uh, my daughter's remarried. And uh, long story short, her husband basically lives in Montreal, but spends about half the time here. Uh-huh. And uh, he's getting a green card, and he'll spend more time once that happens. Yeah. But uh, So perhaps uh, in the near future, when you go back to San Barbara, I can come visit you guys. Yeah, the next time we come down, I'll let you know. We usually determine. We don't do go someplace like that at the drop of a hat. Yeah. So the next time I go down, I'll definitely uh, give you a call or send you an email saying we're going to be there, and it'll be in the fall, and, you know, maybe we can... Uh, you still yeah. have your gold pass? Yes, but I never use it. Well, maybe we can use it and go to a basketball game or a soccer. You know, soccer's real big there now. Oh, okay. And, uh, you know, or, you know, just go mill around yeah. downtown or, uh, yes. you know, out at the campus. Yeah. So I think we're getting close to the time to stop. All right. I'm not sure. Okay, we have about one minute. <laughs> so as far as I'm concerned, we've scratched the surface. We could go a lot longer. But I certainly enjoyed this, being with you, and uh, I really um, treasure my four years of being with you at school. I liked you a lot. We were well, very John, different. I feel the same way, and I... I... You know, you were somebody, of course, we spent so much time together running and yes. on buses and things. And yes. uh, uh, I was a little bit leery of doing this, yes. uh, you know, especially at the drop of a hat. Yes. But I have done some TV and some other radio. And yes. so I, I, I'm i always surprised at how fast the time goes by. Yes. And okay. I hope that some of your uh, listeners are interested in what we talked about and... Uh, not too, too bored, and hopefully not too many tuned out. <laughs> well, at least we enjoyed it, so... Uh, that's, yeah, yeah. That's good. Okay, so I'm, I'm going to call you in a few minutes and uh, talk to you again. Okay, John, I'll be Thank here. Thank you so much for being on my show. All right, I, I enjoyed it a lot. Me too. Talk to All you right, later. All right, bye-bye, John. Bye-bye. Okay, everybody, okay. that's the show for the day. Hope you enjoyed it. I know I did, and my guest, Jack, did. So this is Jonathan Brower saying... So long for now, and uh, we'll have more shows on human behavior what a trip in the very near future. <laughs> Bye for now. Thank you again for listening today. Tune in every Tuesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific Time for Human Behavior, What a Trip with Dr. Jonathan Brower on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. Have fun experiencing your human behavior. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Health and Wellness Channel. 
For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericahealth.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.